Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Jason Mitchell, game developer, father of two, and author of the New York Times bestseller, an alternative definitive ranking of the world's best river cruises. His number one pick, by the way, is a two-way tie between cruises on the Sumitagawa and the Nile. In his book, he writes, One of these is a majestic trip through one of the world's greatest civilizations, and the other is a smoggy way to get to Cairo. Jason, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, fellas. On this week's show, Jason wanted to stop by to add his perspective to the bilingual parenting discussion, and in doing so, potentially save my children from a lifetime of English cram school. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby. Well, given that the oldest known repository of human wisdom, Yahoo Answers, is closing and deleting its archives next month, I decided to use it this week to crowdsource my recommendation. The responses I got ranged from... I went on an amazing cruise tour once. You got to it by taking a bus from the main train station in Tokyo. If you want more information, you can probably Google it. To, is this Yahoo email support? Question mark. To, why go to Japan after what they did to us? I'll try them all later in the show. Also, I'm coming to you remote this week from my two-week trip on the Han River cruise ship in my fully private, one-family-only isolation boat. Jason has ranked this one as the worst trip in the world, but since everyone else around the globe is doing it, I figured I'd check it out. So far, I can confirm that it is financially, physically, and emotionally devastating. No more on that later, because my wife has asked me not to publicize the details online. Instead, Soap Talk. Brian, you've got kids, right? Sure. Is raising them to be bilingual or bicultural something that's important to you? Uh, no. Thank you, Brian. Uh, Jason, how old are your kids, and how are you guys handling the pandemic in the States? Uh, yeah, we've got a nine- and five-year-old boy, and uh, we've been handling it pretty well where we are. Uh, the, the younger one was uh, still in daycare and kindergarten mm. on site, uh, so that helped a lot, uh, whereas the older one has been uh, doing remote schooling from home. Mm. Uh, so you asked to come on, you reached out and got in contact with us after we did our episode about, um, bilingual parenting. Uh, we talked to Dan Yoder about his experiences, uh, and how they compared to my own as we're both trying to raise bilingual children in Japan. Uh, what was it about that episode or about what we talk about on the podcast in general that made you want to come on and get involved in this particular topic? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, super interesting to me. Obviously it's a huge part of our identity, raising our kids, uh, in uh, Japanese and in English. And uh, it was an interesting discussion to hear you guys talk about uh, your life in Japan uh, with the same language mix, but obviously flipped the other way around with the majority language right. being Japanese and, and minority being English where you live. Uh, and I, I just thought uh, it would be interesting to, to uh, compare notes and uh, talk about uh, different perspective with where the language is. Yeah, are I mean, it's really something that you can't talk about enough. There are so many angles to explore with it. Um, one of the angles that Ali's most concerned about it in terms of languages with his child uh, is what their internal monologue is going to be. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to get stuck in. Yeah, I, I got a bit. I got a. I got a few comments when I mentioned on Rochelle's episode that I can't imagine my cat speaking anything else than English. All I was trying to explain was like, you know, I have this egocentric view of the world, and like cats speak English in my head because that's what I grew up with. Obviously, I appreciate they don't. Although I do now know that cats like do scream when they're horny right and there's definitely like a cat language for i've had my first period and i'm looking for a mate like now i now know what cat calling means right that's that that that, that didn't make sense <laughs> to me before and uh yeah i mean i've you know I've, I've i went to get the cat um neutered is that the right word uh 
neutered spade. for a male, spade for a female. Spade. Okay, that's that's what that's what I got. And um, it really cut. It really calmed her down. Before she was up all night just screaming for a mate. I'm not sure how cats. Like, it's a very optimistic thing, isn't it? To think that you can just scream loud enough and that you'll find a mate. Uh, but maybe, maybe in the past, isn't it that for basically cats. what you do with your stand up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, not not not, uh, well, not far off it. But, but I, I, this this cat now is, is so well documented because because uh, obviously I plan to take it back to the UK eventually. I've like it's got its own pet passport as i think i've mentioned and it's now got loads more documentation right it's got like a like a, a certificate almost like a birth certificate i say it was born in malaysia right um and like this cat is now so much better documented than i am in this country where i am still essentially overstaying my visa i worry that when i go to the airport i'm gonna have to have her do all the check-in procedures and me just be in a box going can i come with you uh, <laughs> but um, all right that that's really all all the contribution i have towards a discussion on on parenting jason we're just gonna have to go ahead and pretend that pet ownership is the same as being a parent uh to, to, for us to be able to move on with this conversation <laughs> well that, that that is yeah pro tip ollie that's a parents don't love that <laughs> well, well that parents of humans don't love that well maybe maybe one day when you own a cat you'll understand <laughs> uh, it's, it's all a matter of perspective bobby do we have anybody to thank this week Yes, uh, somebody bought us a coffee on buymeacoffee.com slash Japan by River Cruise. Kumiko bought us a coffee. Kumiko-san, thank you very much. Thank you. Was that accompanied by any uh, feedback or advice, or this one was just a... No, a, it was just a pure gift. A good old-fashioned, uh, here's some coffee money. Well, thank you very much, Kumiko. Also, we probably should mention that we're going to be uh, announcing our next sticker pack this week. We now have three new trendy designs and uh, they should be winging their way to our distribution center uh, in in Fukuoka. That's and, me. Uh, that's that's Bobby right there. And uh, so if if you um, missed out on the sticker bandwagon last time, and you want to get involved, then check out our Twitter at JBRC Pod, where we will post all of the details. Also, if we're doing merch announcements, I'm sitting on magnets. Oh, cool. Yeah, we could do a whole sticker and magnet set if anybody would let's, like. Let's do that. Uh, we will. Yeah. I also half thought about doing t-shirts, but I realized what an absolute ball lake it's going to be to ship them out from Malaysia. So we'll hold that thought. Yeah, uh, but it would be a great a great time for people to buy some merchandise, if only because um, this two-week trip that I'm on, this vacation, <laughs> uh, is putting a significant dent in my, uh, my earning prospects. Shall we jump into... The news! The Japan Times reports, school is out in much of the world, but Japanese teachers are happy to return. Does this have anything to do with the increase in Japanese teachers who want to die? Our correspondents have followed up. Yes, but this week there's no time to cover submissions from at Wes in Japan and at My2Yen, since later in the show I'll be reading my 4,000 word investigative journalism piece on why Japan's teachers found it harder to replicate the Japanese classroom experience on Zoom, asking whether it's to do with the fact that when you have a laptop on your desk, there's nowhere to put your head to nap. If you'd like to join the JBRC Press Club, please follow us on Twitter at JBRCPod for next week's assignment. So Jason, you and Bobby wanted to talk about bilingual parenting again. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so difficult that it needs two whole episodes dedicated to it? I think I think uh, Bobby's just interested in talking to uh, to some other folks, maybe. Uh, to uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is that is why we started inviting guests on, is we got tired of talking to each other about the same things over and over again. So basically, it's just Bobby was looking for topics to uh, to somehow ostracize me. 
It's episode 80 on health food. We did get into it with Dan Yoder in a past episode, but um, there were a lot of things that even in that discussion that I felt like we didn't we didn't broach. And when Jason reached out to us, uh, he brought up some of the the main ones that I couldn't believe that we'd forgotten to talk about, including why, including wh- why we feel like it's important to have our children grow up bilingual. And I think I, I just kind of took it for granted. You know, it was, it was if we're going to do it bilingually, it, it was atarimai. It was just something that I was taking for granted that, you know, I'm, I speak English, their mom speaks Japanese, they should grow up with both. But what are the reasons? What are the motivations for why we're doing what we're doing? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, because obviously living, living where we live in the US, uh, it's not the norm uh, to do that. Um, at least maybe not anymore. I mean, maybe once upon a time that, that was, was more normal for, uh, for, for folks to, to try and preserve their heritage languages uh, for longer after immigrating to the U.S. Um, but I guess for, for me, uh, it's really a way to hopefully give the kids access to simply more of the world and also just help them be mm. more empathetic people. I mean, I think building one's empathy is kind of a, a lifelong uh, process and uh, uh, helping them uh, do that from an early age by, you know, having a wider perspective than uh, than just just uh, being just American kids, basically. I think it's probably important to note that for some generations of immigrants in particularly America, but also other countries, the idea that you could grow up bilingually was was a privilege mm-hmm. that, you know, certainly if you think about the the Japanese experience in America, there was obviously a huge reason to to not preserve your Japanese language. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, I, I, I speak to quite a few people who, uh, you know, regret the fact that they don't speak their their mother's native language or their grandmother's native language. But the reason why it wasn't passed on was because it would the, the thinking at the time was it might hold them back in society. It might prevent integration. Uh, it, it is. It's a good point, Ollie. Um, it, we definitely are. I guess I'm definitely coming from a bit of a position of privilege to be able to sort of make this choice. Uh, and feel confident that um, even even though our, our kids are uh, sort of clawing back uh, part of their heritage, basically, um, that, mm. that they won't be ostracized for that or it won't uh, impact them negatively, uh, which probably isn't true for everyone. Mm. There, there definitely are immigrant parents into English-speaking countries that purposely don't teach their kids their uh, heritage language because they want them to assimilate. They want them to fit in and to be seen as American or English or, or what have you. And I think it was really interesting that just the idea of well, why do we want to teach them the minority language never occurred to me as a native English speaker. And, and you know, Ali, you may have actually raised a good point talking about how ethnocentric it is to assume that your cat's internal monologue is English. Very good point. Because for me, when English is the minority language, it didn't even incur- occur to me to go, well, why is it necessary? It's just, well, it's necessary. But somebody in that situation, uh, you know, a Vietnamese person moving to America might go, well, what is the point? If we're going to be in America, we should speak only English. Well, probably to hypercorrect those do-gooders who go, actually, it's pronounced <laughs> fuh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For, I guess for, for us, um, I mean, I, I guess it's just kind of a personal thing. I was super disappointed, you know, growing up in a very monolingual uh, you know, part of the U.S. Uh, when I was young, having zero access to foreign language until uh, until high school, when it was basically just a subject, which was a peer to math or science or anything else. Um, when, you know, it's, it's really hard to lear- start learning at that age, for one thing. Uh, and then, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we kind of found ourselves. So my, so my wife is Japanese and Taiwanese American. Um, she, uh, she grew up, so her parents spoke a common language of English, well, which meant that the kids pretty much grew up speaking English at home, despite having access to those, those two other cultures through their immigrant parents. Um, yeah. And, uh, so, so that's, I guess that's another reason why some immigrants end up not really hanging on to their, their heritage languages if they, uh, through intermarriage, you know, they have to kind of run the household in a, mm. in another language maybe. Um, but, um, you know, we were, we were in a lucky position to try and counteract uh, so that experience that I had as a kid with um, access to uh, my in-laws, in particular my mother-in-law, who's Japanese. You know, we happened to live near her. Uh, we happened to live in a community with a pretty large Japanese population and um, access to resources mm. like you know, preschools and, and activities and things like that. That we were able to leverage those those resources to help us out because our and our Japanese is not uh, good enough for us to go and try and raise these these kids to speak Japanese, say it on our own. So if we lived in a different place, this wouldn't be possible. Right. So what's the overall goal with raising a bilingual child? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I you know professionally, I've kind of met these uh, you know superhumans that are able to sort of flow between different cultures and uh, different languages and be. Um, uh, be you know near fluent in in multiple different ones, and I, th- I think that gives them access to sort of more of the world, uh, maybe a better career uh, path potentially, uh, and um, I think that's an interesting thing to want for your kids. But I think ultimately, really, me, for me, it comes back to the empathy thing. You know, if you've been the person that is operating uh, maybe in in not your native language, um, and and you're you're trying to communicate with with people uh you know outside of where where you've grown up um you uh you gain a, a i think a better understanding and empathy for then other people that are uh that are in that position that when the tables are turned and and so on let's go ahead and and play a little bit of devil's advocate with ourselves here because i'm sure we've both had this experience uh me in japan and and you in the states of uh people saying that we shouldn't raise our kids bilingually. You, know, you hear this opinion that you shouldn't try to teach a kid two languages at once at the same time when they're, when they're younger. What's, what's the idea behind that? You know, I think that's a misconception. I, I've, I've never bought into that. I, and I've gotten actually very little of that, to be perfectly honest. I think I've, I've probably seen more of that in terms of reading online, other people talking about raising bilingual kids than actually facing it uh, in person myself. Are there any effects in terms of what languages learn first or trying to learn them at the same time? Uh, I'm sure in the academic literature you can, you can find things like that. Uh, we definitely, I mean, for us, for us there definitely was some opportunity cost uh, with our older son. Um, so our, our basic policy was to speak only Japanese with the kids until they were five years old. Uh, we, we switched over a little earlier on the second uh, kid just because his brother was around and you know, he, was, he was hearing English uh, sooner. Uh, and uh, he is sort of bilingual sooner, right? Um, but we so with our with our older son, um, you know, his English when we sort of started it when he was in kindergarten, um, it was a little weird, and I, I'm pretty sure that it um, you know it kept him out of uh, gifted the gifted track at his elementary school. Um, you know, he he totally aced the math and missed the verbal by a small margin. And we were like, come on, he could do this in two languages. What are you doing? You know, yeah, give him a yeah. pass, but it didn't work out. So there's some opportunity cost that, that comes from that. But I, I mean, I personally haven't seen, you know, a lot of downsides in terms of, um, you know, cognitive ability, anything like that. There just can't be examples, can there, where like the kid never learns either language. 
right? Have, has anyone ever met that when, like, just because parents have thrust so many languages on their kid, there's no mother tongue? You know, I've heard from a Japanese friend that、uh, one of the issues with Japanese families sending their kids to international schools in Japan is that the schools in Japan don't teach Kokugo; they don't teach the Japanese mother language.、Mm. So you've got these kids in elementary school and middle school who aren't learning kanji or to read and write in Japanese, and then they're speaking all English at school. But they go home, and the home environment doesn't back up the English language. So what you end up is、right. with a kid who speaks fair but not great English and can't read or write Japanese. Yeah, that's that's tricky with、mm, Japanese in particular, since there's just it's just objectively so much work、uh, to to take on kanji in particular.、Um, right. That if you're simply missing that,、uh, you're, you're not going to really pick that up passively like you do.、Uh, Well, there probably are languages where it's preferable to start earlier. Like I know it's better for any language to just start when you're younger, but I certainly think with the likes of Chinese or Japanese, where you you have to essentially motor memory these patterns, right? It's just way harder for it to stick when you're an adult, and I just think you have less time and less staying power. I, I wonder whether of the two, like it, it's better to have the the Japanese writing down. By the time you're ten, because it's not by the time you're ten, you maybe haven't learned all the characters, but you've built up that that muscle memory. That stroke order is now intuitive. Whereas in English, I think it's the pronunciation which becomes intuitive, right? And like Bobby, your kids when they speak English,、mm -hmm. there's there's a sense that they are Japanese people speaking English rather than people who are, you know, native English speakers. That's because they're very uncomfortable talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> It's not when they talk to me. I mean, their V's and their THs are on point,、oh, man. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. And I, I, it's not just you. I, I've noticed this as this is again something that Ali, if God forbid you ever become a parent, you'll discover people who aren't aren't your kids' parents don't understand how to talk to them. Jason, I don't know if you if you've noticed this, but like you'll notice like people who've never met your kids before who don't know them. Their their go to mode is to talk to them at a level that's much much lower than what they can do, and the kids respond to that. Like when somebody like that they don't know shows up and starts talking to them in a way that they register as a weird way to talk to them. Right, they withdraw. You mean just kind of code switching down to like an imagined kid level, or、uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I just talked to them how Bobby talks to me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I I guess.、Um... It's hard for me. To, it's definitely hard for me to measure、uh, whether people、uh, maybe code switch down to a lower level、yeah. for、uh, for them in Japanese, just because I, I, that would be too subtle for me to pick up on.、Yeah. One, one thing that definitely、uh, in, that's related to that that I've that I've seen, which is、uh, pretty amusing, is、um, in、uh, when my son, my older son, his first year in Hoshuko, I got to be. Uh, which is the Japanese supplementary school that they that they attend here in、uh, in the U.S. Oh, they they attend a supplementary school. That's correct. Yes.、Yeah. So、um, in、uh, in the U.S.,、uh, well, so so Hoshuko generally is a network of supplementary schools that the the actual Japanese、uh, Ministry of Education maintains overseas. There's about two hundred different ones around the world,、uh, many in the U.S.、Mm. Uh, and typically, you know, it's a Saturday school that the kids attend. And、uh, it's designed specifically for、uh, Japanese families who、uh, maybe stationed overseas for a work assignment for a number of years, 
and the, uh, the so the kids can keep up with the curriculum back home so that they can more easily reintegrate when the family returns. Yeah. Um, but um, over the years, the Hoshiko has come to serve more than just the Japanese nationals that are overseas, but also, you know, maybe families that are in um, uh, marriages with one Japanese parent that are living in the U.S., or even sort of further down the chain in terms of, you know, Nisei and uh, Nisei's children, uh, like which our kids would be, our sunset. Right. And, Second um, or third generation, yeah. Correct, right. So the, the immigrant in Japanese, the, the actual immigrant generation is referred to as Issei. Their kids are Nisei and, and Sansei and on down, down the line, numbered like that. Uh, so anyway, the, the Hoshuko has come to serve sort of a larger population, including folks like us that maybe may never end up living in Japan. Uh, and so um, anyway, so there, it, requi- it relies on, a lot on parent volunteering uh, just because, you know, it's hard to staff a school like that with, uh, you know, real full-time folks. They do actually send over, like, the principals and some of the upper administrators actually do come over from Japan oh, wow. on, like, three-year stints to run the schools. It's, it's very official. They use the same textbooks, um, and, and uh, they're, they're right in step with the, the Japanese uh, curriculum, actually. They, they make them sign a declaration that their hair color is their natural color? <laughs> the hair, well, I assure you the hair colors here are much more brown uh, than in, than in, the, uh, uh, in, in Japan, uh, Naturally, yeah. just given the given the, the mixed race the number of mixed race kids that are here. Talking about the demographic of parents, you know there are the kind of parents who like regret that they never learned guitar, so they force their kids to learn guitar. Are there any <laughs> guitar arrives people tomorrow. who have? <laughs> are there any parents which have absolutely no nexus to Japan at all, but like they couldn't? You know, they tried to learn N one themselves. They were a big Japan fanatic and are now living their Japanese life vicariously through their children. I well, I guess I'm probably the closest one to that, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that hits a little close to home. Uh, but I, I mean, I, but obviously, here in our family, we do have a real connection to Japan mm. with yeah, of uh, my wife and, and my mother-in-law. But the so Hoshuko, you know, being obviously, they need to maintain a pretty high standard. I mean, they are. Uh, kind of required actually by law to, to educate the Japanese kids. This actually falls kind of under the, the actual Japanese constitution to provide education for the kids, even when they're overseas, it turns out. And mm-hmm. um, so they clearly need to maintain a high standard. And in fact, there's, there are interviews uh, and uh, to, to get in. So, you know, our, our, our son had like a, a one-on-one interview they had like a four kids and one teacher interview. Mm-hmm. And then there was a parent uh, interview as well. So, you know, myself, my wife, and my mother-in-law went in and, you know... In Japanese? Uh, oh, yeah, all in Japanese. Uh, with this... At the time, I, I didn't realize he was the actual head of the school at the time, which was probably good, so I wasn't intimidated. He was just a really nice Japanese guy yeah. <laughs> to me at the time. Uh, but definitely a bunch of his questions were around, you know, motivation and, you know, wow. are, you going, are you going to follow through with this? Like, you're... Because you guys are uh, have to do a lot of the work as right. well. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, we had to be you know, convincing that we were pretty serious about it in that way. And just to go back to uh, the anecdote that we were in the middle of that started all of this off, uh, what yeah. was the incident with the Hoshuko, uh, the supplementary school? So, right. Well, there's there's many, but uh, the, the the one that I was referring to was about sort of the code switching and talking, talking to kids in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was in... Uh, the, the classroom quite a bit or quite a few times as a class photographer uh, whenever they would have a guest or sort of a special event um, you know we would be there to take pictures of it for the school yearbook and things like that and 
I was feeling pretty good. I was following along. You know, my my listening was kind of seemed pretty good. I mean, all that uh, Terrace House seemed to be paying off. And uh, <laughs> hmm. my my, uh, my listening comprehension was right there. And uh, for one of the events, you know, a lot of other parents came as well. And, you know, the teacher was addressing the children. And I was following everything perfectly. And she pivoted 90 degrees and code switched to Japanese parent mode. And I was gone. I was getting I was getting two percent of what was coming. I was like, oh yeah, boy, so you were, you were picking down. up with the so, elementary school level. Oh yeah. yes, <laughs> it was it was too subtle for me to really appreciate the difference yeah. until until that happened. It was just this discrete switch, and I was just totally slammed. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about about switching languages in general and this idea of of cultural elements in switching languages. Do you feel that there really are, uh, as we kind of talked about in the Dan episode, cultural elements that are embedded in the language? When you learn a language, you learn elements of the culture along with it. Yeah, uh, for sure. Like certainly the material, you know, if you if you look at the Kokugo textbooks, um, they lean heavily into things that are like particularly Japanese. Mm. Um, you know, there'll, there'll be a lot of things about fables. Uh, a lot of things about maybe uh, you know, make the process of making uh, or all the things you can make out of soybeans, you know, from from tofu to uh, soy sauce to you know the list goes on and on. Yeah. Soy, of course, and um, there's there's so many things like that. Even in my youngest son's like hiragana book, um, it seems like they really try specifically, like you know, for the for the character. Uh, uh, sa right they they're like okay what word is like super specific to japanese that we can make and so i learned a new word just the other day looking at his uh, hiragana book uh, uh, sasafuda uh, sasabune sasabune do you know what we is? know what a bune is yeah right so but sasabune <laughs> i couldn't even i couldn't actually tell from the drawing what it was i had to i had to look it up and, and see some youtube videos it's a particular little toy boat made out of uh, bamboo leaves. Ha, 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 ha. So it'd be the kind of thing that like a Japanese person just wouldn't know. Yeah. You know, they would have grown up, you know, grandpa would have made them for them and put them in a the little stream or whatever. Yeah. And we just, yeah. you just don't, you just don't know that. Dude, our, our listeners know this. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they definitely, you know, as in, uh, you know, Japanese lean, lean heavily into seasonality, uh, things that are particular to different seasons. And there's a lot of sort of built in knowledge as to what's seasonal. Mm-hmm. I think I've even had, uh, my sons have even had homework about like match the season to the thing, like which bug or which fruit or which fish is in season then, things like that. So we wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of of the downsides of being bilingual. About I have a real concern that kind of uh, forcing bilingualism on my kids too much could essentially culturally alienate them down down the road. And I'm curious um i'd be remiss if i didn't ask living in america especially with kind of the anti-asian uh hate crimes on the rise if you have any concerns about you know teaching your kids japanese yeah it's i mean that's that's definitely much more recently on my mind uh that that particular downside obviously uh given the, the trends in the u.s um you know we happen to live in a community where it's actually extremely normal for uh, families to speak other languages and, and there's a large Asian population um, here. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's, it's sometimes it feels like on the playground, the white kids are the minority um, and then the half kids in, from various uh, different mixes are, are the majority. Right. Um, I, I know I chaperoned a, 
an event uh, in my my son's elementary school, and this is just a regular public elementary school, and there were two languages being spoken on the on the bus, English and Japanese. That just so happened that there was like eight Japanese kids on that bus, and they would switch into it. One of them one of them spoke to me in Japanese, and another kid was like, "Why did you speak to him in Japanese?" There was there were enough kids that they didn't even all know me, kind of thing, right? Like, why did you speak to that guy in Japanese? Like, no, that's he speaks Japanese anyway. It's just yeah. it's it's just much more normal here, is what it comes down to. Is that and that's so, just a product of your particular geography? Yeah, it is. It is. So it's it's definitely not the same everywhere. Um, and so, I mean, I guess, uh, I guess I'm just, I guess I'm somewhat concerned, maybe in the long term, that there, you know, there could be some, you know, yeah, negativity toward it. But I, I really don't think so. It, it's not going to affect my my decision to uh, to invest in invest in this for our family. Yeah. So all this sounds like pretty hard work. How will you know when to stop? <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, I definitely ask myself often, like, what success looks like in, in this case. And I, I think, you know, if I think back to the beginning, I, um, I don't even know if I would have imagined us getting this far, to be perfectly honest, in, in terms of the kids being this successful uh, with their, their bilingual uh, education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I, I, we're just going to keep pushing. Uh, you know, our oldest is uh, entering fourth grade uh, in Japanese school. Uh, you know, the Japanese school year is just starting this week, so they'll be starting their first day of Hoshuko in the new grade on Saturday. Uh, you know, and a lot of kids wash out at the end of middle school, so a few more years to go. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a huge trade-off, right? You give up all your Saturdays, and, uh, you know, that's it's, uh, it's tough to make that last. Yeah. I think... I think a lot recently about you know what my goals are in having my kids become bilingual and wanting them to be fluent in both. And when they were a little bit younger, I think my my I had a resistance to this idea of you know the father says something in English and the kid answers in Japanese. And and you have even though communication is successful, it would feel like to me that that I wasn't being successful in my parenting goals. Uh, but as they get older, I'm realizing that you know ten years, twenty years down the line. Um, if I say something in any language and they respond, I'll consider that a success. <laughs> hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 79 of Japan by River Cruise. Thank you very much to everyone that buys us a coffee. It's the only way the show is supported and we genuinely appreciate it. Also have merchandise available from this week. And we'd like to say thank you to our guest, Jason Mitchell. It was glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, if folks want to find out more, they can follow me on Twitter at Nihongoromo. And uh, I also blog at Nihongoromo.com about this sort of thing. Thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week.